0: and welcome to the Tandem Collective Talks podcast. Tandem Collective celebrates books, film, TV, podcasts and more with our global community.
1: We're Jen, Jade, Lucy and Lex, members and friends of Team Tandem. You might already know us from Instagram or TikTok, but if not, it's great to meet you and welcome.
2: We're here to chat to you about what's new in the world of books, publishing and film, interview some of your favourite authors and hear your thoughts on what you're reading and watching at the moment. You can find us at Tandem Collective UK on
0: Instagram and also Tandem Collective Global. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the final episode of the Tandem Collective Talks season two. Today, we've got a very publishing hopeful themed episode for you, full of interviews from lots of friends around the publishing industry. But of course, first, I'm here with Jen and the lovely Lucy Jones, and we're going to have a little bit of a chat about our journey into publishing. So, Jen, let's go to you first. Did you always know that you wanted to work in books or at least books adjacent?
2: No. So before I came to Tandem, I was not doing anything book adjacent, really. I was working in the third sector and then with one of Tandem's kind of OG influences, had been really involved with Tandem on and off for a few years
0: Can you just tell us what the third sector means? Because I know what you did before this job and I (laughs) didn't know that it was called the third sector.
2: Okay, yeah. So the third sector is voluntary sector. So charity. So basically, I worked in charity before. Yeah, I've been working with Tandem kind of on and off doing fun bits and bobs. And eventually, I think it was actually it was
0: you and Naomi said to me, Lex, can you just come to Tandem? So I thought, well, why not? I mean, seems seems like a perfectly reasonable request on my part, I think. <laughs> but you've always been bookish, haven't you? Always been bookish, always been bookish,
2: yes. So I've been bookish since I was a child and was writing book reviews. I'd done a bit of writing, content writing, always done lots of work with kind of words and writing.
0: Yeah, so it wasn't a huge leap. And what about you, Lucy? You have been at tandem a little bit longer than than Jen I think. Yeah, so about
1: two and a half years. Now I think it was March 2020 when I first uh, when I ran my first read along. I remember it literally coincided with the start of the pandemic and I was introduced to Tandem through Naomi. Like we studied together. We actually did our English lit undergrad together. That was how we met. So our whole friendship really was based on this shared love of Books. And obviously she has founded tandem, is our wonderful director. And then yeah, she approached me when I was on maternity leave at the time and asked if I wanted, you know, to do she she walked me through what the structure of a read-along looks like. And I was like, oh yeah, that sounds, that sounds great. Did it as more of like a hobby in the early days? And of course, with the pandemic, you know, everything was closed, people had more time at home, more time to read. And I just loved it. And I think I was like, oh my God, the idea that I could make this my livelihood one day like it just seemed so like such a win so long story short I, I was in higher education before this went back to my old job after my maternity leave and then always kind of kept a foot in the door with Tandem I mean a because it was an opportunity to keep keep reading new books and but also to keep connected with the rest of the team and I think I always knew at some point that I really wanted to try and make that leap to do it on a full-time basis. And it's been just over a year now since I, I did take the plunge and move fully to freelance life. And I'm so glad that I did.
2: I think it's really interesting that obviously all of us on the team are hugely bookish and books are our reason for coming to Tandem. But then as soon as anyone gets involved with Tandem in any way, part time or just in more of a hobby way, it's only a couple of months and then you know that they're going to be fully a part of the team. Nobody can resist the law of the team.
0: Yeah completely and how do you both feel like Luce you mentioned it a bit just then where you said that it felt like such a win that you can make books your livelihood and I think that's very much a kind of theme running through young people getting jobs in publishing at the moment how do you guys see yourselves and your jobs in relation to the themes and issues that we know run through Kind of publishing industry?
2: So I think that we are quite lucky that we are almost more in control of our own burnout. We know that burnout is such a huge problem across the whole of the publishing industry, and that particularly people who are in house feel so tied to their workload. Whereas being freelancers, we have slightly more control over that. Although I know that across the team, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. The downsides. I mean, I would say probably the downsides of any freelance life in that, you know, if we want to go on holiday, we have to to plan it out. We don't get holiday pay, that kind of thing. But another upside as well is that with needing to pitch for campaigns, you will more often find yourself working on a book that you really love. It's not just whatever is being published is yours and you have to push it. If you really don't like it, there's probably somebody else on the team that, that will take it and you really are putting yourself forward for your work Jen you're so right I
1: I think the issues that you know we all know do exist in-house or in any PAYE job could still exist within tandem but there is more there's more control people have got more autonomy and that ability to say yes to or turn down work you know based on their capacity based on what else they have going on in their personal lives so it's a it's a massive shift you know making the move to a a completely freelance setup but everybody on the team I think you know we we would all agree the payoff is a hundred percent worth it
0: okay great and then my next question and probably my last question before we move into our next interview is would you consider yourself as working in publishing or not
2: yeah so certainly in this part of what I do I would. I would say that we are quite often taking on campaigns where if we weren't doing them they would be done in-house obviously and so we're doing exactly the same role somebody in-house would be doing and they would certainly would consider themselves to be working in publishing. That said I think the beauty of being a freelancer is that I don't exclusively consider myself to work in publishing the third sector is still very important to me and I know that there are other kind of work areas that I want to explore so I certainly do consider that some of my work is in publishing but that that's not the only box I fit into Mm.
1: I think as well it's how Tandem has evolved and this you know the steps that we've taken as a business like I know all of our clients have predominantly been publishers but we also work with film and tv clients and you know more recently we started to work with like we've moved into events and and doing marketing for for event companies so yeah I mean I suppose in answer to your question Lex like yes I would say I do work in publishing but that's but we're not limited to just the publishing sector but it's it's so funny because like my dad tells everyone I work in publishing and I've always been a bit like well it's marketing
0: for publishers really (laughs) Um, but yeah it it definitely goes beyond that I think it's really interesting because I do feel like like I shouldn't say that I work in publishing even though I do like 95% of the work that I do is on books about books for books but it feels like I'm because I have never worked in-house at one of the big five I shouldn't be allowed to say that I work in publishing which of course is a completely made-up construct that I've just made up in my head and I wonder if any kind of like publishing hopefuls feel like this, that if they are not Jude Law in the holiday, reading a manuscript in bed with a red pen, that they haven't made it into publishing. And I think we as a team are kind of prime examples that that's just not true.
2: Do you think though, so, Lex? That's because publishing is now... I really see it as such a buzzword. So I think probably like PR was in the nineties where Mm. all of the the younger women wanted to work in PR, wanting to go into publishing now is seen as such a kind of a buzzword, shiny, shiny thing. So to say
0: I actually do that, it feels a little bit unreal. Yeah. And I think to go back to your previous point, it's also so much of a catch all. Like I work in publishing, but what does that actually mean? Do you work mm-hmm. in rights? Are you in editorial? Are you in the art design? Are you in production? What, like you could work in publishing and actually never have anything to do with the words written on the page of a book ever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is insane.
1: That's such a good point though as well, Jen. Cause I'm like, it, it now makes me think, well, is
2: is publishing sexy? <laughs> yes, I would say publishing is very sexy.
0: I think there's a duality to it. I think publishing, like to Jen's point of being like a bit of a moment, yes, it's sexy. But I think also because we are aware of the the issues and the concerns, things like the diversity and inclusion of the in-house industry, things like burnout within the in-house industry, we know that it is, it definitely has unsexier mm. elements of it also. Mm. So in essence, the publishing industry is a mixed bag and there is no right way into it and no right way to your dream role. And to speak on that further, we have Chelsea Graham, who is the editor-in-chief of The Publishing Post, which is a fantastic resource, whether you are publishing hopeful or publishing living it real life, and the wonderful Ella Watkins, who is the senior publicity manager at Michael Joseph Books. So stay tuned for their interview coming up next thanks team hey there it's Lex here with a reminder of how important it is to rate review and subscribe to this podcast on your preferred podcast player we would also love to hear what you think and which episodes are your favorite hit us up on podcast at thetandemcollective.com now back to regularly scheduled programming Ella and Chelsea, thank you so much for joining us today. My first question is going to be a super easy one. I'm going to cast your minds back to your your own childhoods. Were they bookish? Were you a voracious reader as a child? Ella, should we start with you?
3: Yeah, I think probably I was. My whole family is very bookish. I used to love going to the library every weekend with my mum and and getting my kind of stack of books that I'd worked my way through and I loved I, remember, I must have been about 12 or something when I went through a stage of just reading Jodie Pickle and my mum was like do you not want to read anything maybe a little bit more young or like fun and, and joyful and I was like no I really love reading My Sister's Keeper <laughs> so I was kind of reading things that I you know, I was always reading. And then I think probably, and my, my brother says that this is because we got TVs in our bedrooms when we were about 15, 16. I just stopped reading. But I did do English A-level, so it can't have been that that bad. But yeah, I didn't, I stopped reading in bed and wasn't that kind of, I wasn't queuing for the library to open mm-hmm. when I was a teenager.
0: You know, when you were going to say Jodie Pickle, I would have put money on you saying Jacqueline Wilson. I feel like that's where. All of oh, well our I, reading starts.
3: Yeah, I was. I was a huge Jacqueline Wilson fan. But again, always the really dark ones. I mean, they're actually kind of all quite dark, aren't they? Well, actually, on a podcast episode
0: a couple of weeks ago, we were saying that the people who read Jacqueline Wilson grow up to read Jodie Pickle. Like that transition makes sense.
3: Oh my god, yeah, that's so interesting. Like, that's it, so it, interesting. Yeah. It, it,
0: it, it's like, yep, that's, that's a natural progression for me as a reader. But <laughs> sidebar, have you read Mad Honey out in November? No. It's amazing.
3: Is it's Jodie Pickle?
0: Yeah, it's Jodie Pickle's next book,
3: co-written mm. with
0: Jennifer Finney Boylan. It's, it's amazing. I can't wait for it to come out.
3: Okay, Mad Honey. Mm-hmm. Okay. Put it in your
0: diaries. November 18th, somewhere around there.
3: Okay, I'm on it.
4: Chelsea, my love, what about you? Bookish childhood? I mean, no one else in my family really reads mm-hmm. at all. So I didn't really grow up like with like stacks of kind of books everywhere. But I do remember like we would go to the library on like a Sunday. On one of the days my mum wasn't at work, like we'd walk up to the library. And like, I remember like just thinking, remember like taking out books and like having to carry them back home like walking with a stack of books but I feel like it probably not until I was maybe in like year five or six like towards the end of primary school when I like kind of had access to like the school's library just like every day I could just bring home a book and there was no one really there to be like no don't take the books because all the librarians were like yeah sure take as take as many as you want and then you get home and you're like your whole room is now full of books but then I think I guess like I did like the typical yeah like Jack and Wilson probably every single one of those books at some point like passed through my room the same with like John Green that was quite a quick progression but yeah like and then I think probably similar I feel like I stopped reading probably when I went to sec- maybe a few years into secondary school when you're kind of like doing things I was doing after school clubs and I guess I just kind of stopped but again similar to to before like I was still going to the library so yeah, like I, I definitely think it slowed. As soon as I was in school, I think I was just kind of... But then I did A Level 2 and GCSE, mm-hmm. so it didn't stray too far. It just probably wasn't my main focus at, in those middle years.
3: Yeah, <laughs> also I think probably tied into that, you then are doing it for GCSE and A Level when you have to read
5: and yeah. you're being
3: given these texts by, you know, pale, male and stale and you're like, well, this isn't going to make me love books. <laughs> yeah, <and laughs> this isn't going like, yeah. to you ignite you my reading, reading passion. passion.
4: Yeah, because then you're forced to read the ones that you hate. And then you, in your head, your subconscious is like, well, if I, I'm not enjoying this, then I don't really want to pick up another book because it's not part of the syllabus. and I'm not like, I've got things I have to read. I don't want to read. Mm. And yeah, the and same with university. Like I did a lit degree and I feel like that made me hate reading because I was just having to mm. be Apart from for your dissertation, it's pretty much you're reading books that you're told to read. And actually I, they weren't books that I would choose. So then I feel like it forced me further away. And it was only when I'd maybe left it a few months after my degree, and I read the first book in probably years for fun. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember I like this. I like reading. I've just kind of forgotten that I do.
0: Uh, I completely know what you mean about the, the guilt at university. You know, if I'm not reading a course book, what am I doing? And I yeah. also remember only being able to like really struggle to get through maybe a book a week. Whereas at my most voracious, I'm like two, three books a week
3: now but
0: it's now definitely now how many okay so you guys work in publishing as well how
4: many books are you reading a week one if I'm lucky yes yeah but also one that's not if it's work related Like that I kind of disregard that as like technically not what I want like I obviously want to read but it's not what I would choose to read in sort of like like leisure so then even once you take away work stuff probably like I'm lucky if I do like two and a half a month
3: Mm mm-hmm yeah I think similar to be honest
0: <laughs> no I think so you guys both discovered libraries fairly early on it sounds yeah. like and actually I would say I've only just come into my library stride mm. like I have just discovered Libby and BorrowBox and now mm. I'm suddenly like hang on I can get audiobooks for free yeah yeah I See, don't, I don't, don't might...
3: use any of these now oh, really but I should be. I just, I'm obviously just forgetting, I and mean, I'm thinking I've my TBR is already toppling over. I don't need to add another stack to it. Mm.
0: That's the only way that I can get through my books because I've got. I'm always reading something as a digital pdf I'm always reading something physically and I'm always listening to something at the same time it's the only way that I can get through is by separating the formats I can't read two physical books at the same time
4: no it can't be done either no I get confused even if they're completely wildly different genres I'll start like pulling characters from each (laughs) to the other one and I'm like on a minute (laughs) in my like chick flick what's going on I'm so confused so yeah I'm definitely the same it has to be different formats otherwise I get so confused
0: That's actually a really interesting point Chelsea that you raised though you wouldn't necessarily have chosen your workbooks as pleasure reading books what would you guys say the ratio is for you because I feel like there's a bit of a myth that as soon as you get into publishing you get to work on all of your dream books for the rest of your life and you only get to work with your favourite authors how do you balance that?
4: I'd probably say for me I'm probably lucky in that I can kind of pick and choose the books I work on just because I'm an assistant level, I kind of just say, oh can I pinch that from you
2: please mm-hmm.
4: And then it's kind of like, yeah, sure, like go ahead. whereas once I kind of move on my career, I'm sure I'll have to narrow down. but I mean I feel like I'm in a really luxurious position right now where I can just kind of say, oh, that one's cool. can I have that
0: please mm-hmm. And then it's,
4: it tends to be things I like, but there are there are definitely books that I work on that you kind of read and you're at, like you're acutely aware that it's not something that you would naturally read. But I feel mm-hmm. like that makes you kind of, you can scrutinise it a bit more. So like when I read, I'm reading to cast an audio. So yeah. then I kind of feel like I notice things that perhaps if it was your favourite genre and something that you were reading constantly that were like tropes of the genre, you'd perhaps ignore. Whereas I'm kind of quite, you feel when you're kind of new to it, you're kind of, you notice things a lot more. So I feel like it, it just does well to broaden what I'm reading, but I definitely feel it when I'm not reading something that's naturally what I'd go towards. No,
0: mm-hmm. that makes total sense. Ella, how do you, obviously as public, senior publicity manager, you've got so many books coming through your hands and on, on your screens. How many
3: of them would you say you would have chosen to read? I think because my division my and the imprints that I work on are, we do a real mix. So, you know, I'm working across nonfiction and fiction. So there's a real, I don't have to read kind of back to back thrillers or back-to-back rom-coms which eat at you know on their own I might enjoy but kind of you can get then caught in a bit of a cycle of reading the same stuff so it's quite nice because I get to mix it up I do a lot of cookery I do a lot of kind of personal development self-help non-fiction and then I do do kind of psych thrillers or commercial fiction literary fiction so actually you know most of the stuff I read I do I do enjoy and I'm I think you know not everything that you get to work on you like you like doing and I, and I don't get to pick everything that I work on if something comes through that I love the look of you know I can say oh please can I do the PR on this one and I and I, most of the time you know we are then allocated that and so I can but I like having that that variety
0: yeah that sounds great that kind of element of variety is the spice of life keeping you on your toes across the board yeah perfect okay so the next myth that I would love to like have a chat with you guys about is that there are so many publishing hopefuls who are trying to break into the publishing industry and some of them are falling down because they are it's dream job on nothing. And they're all gunning for, I wanna be an editor tomorrow. I wanna be, you know, senior publicity manager tomorrow. Where are you guys in your dream job journey? Have you been there? Has that changed? Has your dream job changed as you've moved through your career? Ella, do you want to start us off on this one?
3: I don't know what my dream job is. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what that is. I'm just, you know, I'm not necessarily a particularly goal-oriented person. And I don't look, I'm not like, "Red, where am I in five years time? Which is maybe, you know, sometimes a bad thing because then I have moments where I think, what the hell am I doing across every platform of life? But for the most part, I just think, you know, am I happy with where I'm at now and, you know, what do I want more of now and how can I get that? And I think I never knew, you know, I I didn't even really know publishing at all. And when I, you know, the only thing I ever thought of, which is we just said so many people just assume publishing is editorial Um, and obviously if you think about it of course there's more to it you know of course someone's designing the cover and someone's made that poster and someone's made sure it's printed and you know but you don't really think about it and I think I had no idea and I kind of had a lucky fall into it ish and then and then I think when I my first job was an internship and I didn't even know on the first day when I turned up what department I would be in. I just said yes. <laughs> and then they were like, you're in the comms team. And I was like, great. Lovely. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that sounds awesome. What can I do? Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Chelsea, how about you?
4: Yeah, I think I, I feel like it's always a thing that people say to you before you get into the industry. is like, oh you I just fell into my job like I, and and you're always like, oh that's the last thing I want to hear. Like I want to hear like something else but actually it's so true and I was exactly the same like I was in an editorial assistant role before um, in like a a magazine publishing so like it's adjacent Um, and then at that point I was just kind of applying for like yeah I was applying for editorial but I was also applying for other things and really I didn't really know what I wanted at all but I thought oh editorial like as everyone does and then I got the role in audio and now a year on I couldn't think of a, a department I'd rather least be in than editorial like having obviously been within the company and like worked in audio and stuff and I would never have put myself as someone that would work in audio like I I listened to audiobooks before but like I wasn't I wasn't ever looking for audio jobs around like I just kind of got the job and then I was like well I'm quite happy to like learn and see how this goes and then actually after like two months I was like yeah this this works but I would never have thought it would work and yeah now and I look I like speak to editorial assistants and See them around the office, and I just think I couldn't do that. (laughs) I absolutely could not. And I'm really glad that actually I just fell into something and then it was something that I would just never have done. And I I think that's like always a a thing that you don't want to hear as a publishing hopeful. Like, I didn't want to hear it, but like applying for things that you don't necessarily because you you don't know what the job is going to entail until you do it. Like, you can chat to people in certain publishing houses, but everything is different. Like, it's different across audio, across publishing houses, and all of the roles are, are slightly different. So, an editorial assistant in a big publisher will be completely different to one in a small publisher because you're just across, you've got more to do in a small publisher. So you You might not be restricted to be just doing admin or just doing, assisting someone. You might actually be doing a lot more in a small publisher. But having kind of saying, I, I only want to apply for editorial roles in one very specific thing is quite limiting because it might not be the same everywhere. And then you might get into it and realise that or there might be another role that you fall into. And actually that much suits your personality once you realise what that job entails, because it might not be what you think it is on face value. And I think that was something that I learned like really quickly. And then very soon after I was, anybody that kind of said about getting into publishing, I was like, actually just try things that you don't necessarily think of because you you may love it and you just wouldn't have even thought of it before. Because yeah, I, I wouldn't have chosen audio given given the choice initially, I wouldn't have.
3: So true. Mm-hmm. And I think also you can really once you're once you you know you've done something, you can really move around. You know, like the experience is so transferable. When I was going for uh, publicity assistant jobs, I applied for publicity assistant, marketing assistant, comms assistant, I applied to be an agent assistant at a literary agency. And you know, they were all, if I'd have got any of them, I then would have learned that particular skill, which would have made me a better you know, if I, if I did marketing assistant for you, that would have made me a better publicity assistance because I understood what goes on in that department or, you know, I think I, I've spoken to like, a lot of publishing hopefuls and, and you know, they, they've got, the, they're trying to get a, a job alongside it and I'm like, work in a bookshop because it's so good to then come into a publisher's and you have been a bookseller, like that is not wasted experience at all. It's all transferable and having just an understanding of the industry as a whole is so beneficial.
0: I completely agree. And I think that kind of lateral job jumping to get that experience was something that I didn't really really realise was happening until I started to speak to people in the industry. And until I started to work with people and then they they themselves would leave and go and work at a different publishing house or go somewhere else, or do a slightly different job. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is this is doable. Mm. And it's a really great suggestion for anyone who's trying to get their, their kind of foot in the door, as it
3: were. Massively. And also, sorry, just going on a ramble. But no, go for it. <laughs> we have so many people. So I, you know, my first job was a publicity assistant in publishing. But after a year, I left it. And I then was doing stuff completely not connected to publishing. And I worked for a PR agency doing literally consumer PR for you know a dating website an omega-3 supplement nothing connected not even arty and then I got a job I applied for my my well it was the publicity manager job where I'm at now and I had all the relevant experience like you know yes I didn't necessarily know publishing that well I'd only done a year and my boss said oh do you know how to do a PR campaign for fiction and I said no I don't (laughs) but I know how to talk to the media I know how to write a press release, I am good with people, I know X, Y, and Z, and I can learn how to do a fiction campaign, Mm -hmm. and she gave me the job, and, you know, there's other people here who have never worked in publishing, but someone's come from the Tate Art Gallery, they have never had any publishing experience, but they've got marketing experience, or they've got copywriting experience, or Mm -hmm. general kind of comms, or PR, and it's all those skills... You're so right. It's
0: about cherry picking up as much as you can as you go along the journey to kind of build out that amazing backlog of experience and skills. Mm. And I'm so aware that we're running out of time, but I'm just, just going to squeeze in two more questions if I can. The first one being very much linked to that kind of point of picking up experience and skills where you can. Do you guys think that being personally on social media and involved in things like Book Talk or Bookstagram? How does that support your journey as a publishing hopeful into publishing industry? Chelsea, do you want to start us off on that one?
4: Yeah, I suppose I think it's not necessary. A hundred percent it's not. If you're not a social media person, then it's not worth forcing it because that won't be something that you'll want to be going into in terms of that side of if you're not in social on social media, then that's fine. But I do think that it just has a unique ability to put you in front of people that matter in terms of like... Like on book Twitter, bookstagram, TikTok, there are people on those platforms that are hiring or they are just people that you will come across in the industry. And people knowing your name is never a bad thing. And if that's because you've got a really cool, aesthetically pleasing bookstagram, then that's no different from you having a profile on Twitter where you chat to people and you connect with loads of other people. And if it's purely just because they see your name and then in a flurry of applications, they've seen that name and then they've, they've seen your bookstagram, then it's a representation of you more so than it maybe a CV can be. So although I don't think it's necessary, I do think that it just adds an extra dimension and it's really accessible as well. Like not a lot of things for gaining experience in publishing are accessible. There are certain things you can do, but social media is one that you can do for free in and around things that you have. If you've got a full-time job, it's it's easy to kind of put around your other commitments, making it an easy thing to kind of add something extra to your application without having to do an internship where you're not getting paid without having to find supplementary roles that are quite quite difficult to get is something that you can kind of do without much starting ground, which I do think is a major a bonus for those kind of platforms.
0: Yeah, I think and, the element of it being free yeah. is a
4: huge, a huge deal.
3: Yeah, I, I totally agree with Chelsea. And I, I think also, you know, as, as you've said, if it's, not, if it's not authentic and you feel it makes you like, you know, s- incredibly nervous that you don't want to do it then don't do it but I think even if to be honest even if you're a lurker on it like and you can just see it follow people you don't have to post you don't have to comment but follow follow the for example if you want to get into publicity you know follow the big PR directors follow the the imprints follow like literary editors and you can see which which book campaigns are doing well and and where are they what's happening what are they doing what is the marketing the PR or you know which authors are shouting about this you'll be the first to see about job ads and yes I think you don't necessarily have to engage with it if that's not your thing but I would use it as a as a database
5: Mm. because it makes those applications
4: more authentic as well like a lot of the applications for say marketing or comms will say tell us about a campaign you liked and that is going to come across way more authentic in that application if you've seen it as it unraveled Rather than kind of going back and trying to find posts or tweets or news campaigns when they come, came out, and then trying to piece it together, just to, as a kind of example, if you saw that kind of live and how people were interacting with it and how it went went down with fans or audiences, you're way more likely to kind of have a better view on how that went, rather than kind of backdating the research.
0: Such a good point. You don't have to be a creator; you just need to be aware. Yeah.
3: Yeah, completely. Um,
0: that's really useful. Okay one last question and we've talked a little bit today about kind of some myths that we would bust for publishing hopefuls but what would be the one piece of advice or something that you have learned in your journey that you would love to impart to publishing hopefuls?
4: I would probably say to reach out to people even if you think even if you get like imposter syndrome because the amount of people that you can talk to that not not everyone that you talk to is going to offer you a job of of course like that's kind of a given but if you know pretty much everyone in the industry is kind of open to chatting and open to giving you advice and it might just be a nugget of advice that you don't you're not expecting them to give you and actually it comes to you when you're writing an application or it's just something that you wouldn't have seen on kind of like blogs and things because it's coming straight from the person that's doing that job it might be that they know that a job opening is coming but it might be that once you form that relationship six months later they get in touch and say oh i've i thought of you for this or because i think that happens more often than people think i think that it's not i'm going to offer you a job because i've seen your twitter profile it's just i thought of this you might be interested in applying or they've just spoken about you internally you, you might not even know it might just be a case of oh i had a really good they're just chatting with their friends who also happen to be directors and they're like they're just kind of saying. I was being this hopeful and she was really excited and really keen. And I think like just in general conversation, that might not even be with any intention, but just chatting to people will make things happen, even if it isn't, I'm going to give you a job here and now, because I do think those interactions are really, really helpful. And everyone is open to chatting. Everybody always kind of says, oh, the industry is really nice. They are. If you send someone a DM, even if they're the manager of an imprint that you absolutely love, but you're really, really scared to send them a DM, the worst they can say is I'm really busy or not reply. And you've tried that's not a negative against you if they don't reply. It's not like they're gonna think badly of you because you reached out, you're being proactive. I don't think there is anything negative that can come from reaching out to somebody and just saying, Hey, I've got this question, or oh, I'd really love to chat if you have a 10 minute coffee next time you're around. I don't think anything bad can come from that you can only you're only set to gain.
3: Mm, I think it's a really good shout. I completely agree and I think mine is kind of similar and it sounds really simple but like be nice be up for helping people and be up for being helped and if you get a work experience opportunity for example like offer to do something like you know I don't think I'm I'm careful about saying be nice because I think you know It shouldn't just be on that like it should be on your talent and everything as well but you could be really talented and be a complete arsehole no one will want to work with you like there's such a small industry and you know there might be someone who is an assistant editor and then they will very quickly go up the ranks and be your manager and if you are an arsehole to them they will remember so I just think you know like, be nice, give someone a free book, trade books, go to someone's event, support them, and you'll get it back. Don't be an asshole. Okay. is my motto. Your points together work perfectly, because it is
0: that. It's be memorable for the right reasons, to your point, Ella, and then, Chelsea, people will bring you up in conversations because you were friendly and sweet and amicable and helpful and all of the other things.
4: And that works in the opposite way as well, like, to build on Ella's point. Like, if you are a dick then that will be brought up in conversation because mm. there aren't many if, if you're offering up your time as someone that is senior or even someone that's not even as an assistant assistants talk to people that are senior we all share offices if you're chatting to the other assistants within the earshot of managers or directors and you're talking about a really bad experience you have when you tried to offer someone your time we all work in, in the same rooms it, it doesn't stay secret for long so it's kind of like it works in exactly the same way like you either be nice or get known for being not nice it it kind of is exactly the same
0: oh yeah it word spreads like wildfire you know we're 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 in we're in the communications industry (laughs) it's what we're good at (laughs) okay thank you so much for coming to hang out with me this afternoon and thank you so much for giving up your time one last question what are you reading right now and can we have a recommendation i know it's the uh the question that you probably
4: get asked the most and um, what i'm reading for a book for audio it's a book called hotel 21 by center rich and i think it will be out in march don't quote me on that though It might be january sometime in the early 23 but it's really really good
0: you got a genre for that one
4: well it's about a hotel cleaner she likes to steal things oh okay Mix in some female relationships bonding it's, it's really really lovely
3: oh interesting i have to pick that one up okay ella what have you got for us I am really a non-work one I just had to Google who wrote it um called, it came out a couple of years ago called Supper Club by Laura Williams oh um, okay really really good and it's about like women and consumption and and kind of being made to be small in society and they're like no nope, I'm gonna hold a supper club and we're gonna eat and feast and take up space and so yeah I would highly recommend
0: amazing sounds like two great recommendations to add to our TBR shelves as if we could possibly fit anything else there (laughs) but listen thank you so much for coming to hang out with me this afternoon and giving up your time I really appreciate it
3: thank you thank you
0: thank you so much to Ella and Chelsea for joining us for this episode's chat and now allow me to hand you over to our own publishing hopeful Georgie Views who since this interview has gone and landed just one of her dream jobs in-house publishing as she leads our lightning rounds with Joe Thompson, Deputy Art Director, Sam Eads, Editor at Orion Books, and Eleanor Rose, Marketing and PR Assistant at Bonnier Books. Hello,
5: Georgie Views.
6: Hi, Lex, and hey everyone, I'm Georgie. You can find me at Views Books. And as Lex said, I'm currently a campaign manager at Tandem, but I am looking to go into editorial in-house. So it's been really great to speak to so many interesting people in the publishing industry through this podcast.
0: So that's Georgie Buse, and these are your lightning rounds. The first one features Joe Thompson, the Deputy Art Director for Fourth Estate and William Collins.
6: Okay, so first question, when did you know you wanted to work in publishing?
7: It was never really kind of a moment for me when I was like, "Ah, oh, I want to work in publishing. It was more that I saw a job posting for a designer role in publishing and thought, okay, that could be quite fun. I love books. And it kind of went from there.
6: Amazing. And how long did it take you to land your dream role? Slash, do you have a dream role? And what was your routine?
7: Well, like I said, I saw the job posting. I applied for it. I actually knew some people who worked in publishing as designers. So I was able to kind of talk to them a bit about it. And for me, luckily, it was quite smooth. Yeah, I guess my dream role was always just to be a graphic designer and the fact that I'm doing it in publishing is just a really added bonus. And
6: what's the standout moment from your career to date, would you say?
7: I would say moving to Australia, I quit my job and became a freelancer and didn't die of starvation, which yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so that was awesome. great. <laughs> Brilliant.
6: So, in your opinion, what skills should publishing hopefuls look to hone, do you think? Obviously, it
7: very much depends on what they want to do, but for your role, what what skills would you do you think that puppeting has also tone? I think having a good sense of typography is really important. I see a lot of portfolios that are really beautifully designed from an illustrative perspective. But I think knowing how to kind of position type, because so much of what we do is that, is really important. And also having a thick skin and definitely diplomatic fact- skills. <laughs> that's important for for every role. So is there
6: any advice that you would pass on from your freelance career thinking about kind of being
7: freelance within publishing? I would say just put yourself out there as much as possible, use all of the social media that you can. It was so lucky to kind of have that element now. And just yeah, meet as many people as you can, keep in touch with as many people as you can and just try and get yourself out there. That's great advice. I think that's great for every role in in
6: publishing. So What do you think the industry is missing at the moment?
7: I would definitely say diversity and inclusion. I think there's been some steps to try and make it more diverse, but it feels like it rolls around in waves of people getting kind of like, oh, we should be doing this. And then it simmers down again. And then, yeah, without really any meaningful change. Is that something you've noticed particularly in the design? kind of sphere or just in, in
6: the industry in general?
7: I would say in the industry in general. Interestingly, I feel like, design as a broader outside of publishing subject feels more diverse but within publishing it really isn't
6: Mm, interesting so this one might not apply to you so much but what are the key things that you look for in a candidate when
7: hiring I think I think having a good range of design work and I think ultimately being a real team player and being really friendly and approachable and eager to learn will get you really far is about personality I think if you've got someone who's got a fantastic portfolio but they're kind of a bit less willing to participate with lots of different areas of design then it's harder than someone whose portfolio is maybe good but they've got a real willingness to push it
6: great interesting so a bit of a change Uh, What are you reading, listening to, watching at the moment?
7: So I'm reading Pachinko, which is great. I love it. I'm listening to the Hamish and Andy podcast, which is an Australian podcast that I love. It has me in stitches all the time. I've just finished watching The Terror on BBC, Mm. which is amazing. But you need a bit of a break after that.
6: Oh, that sounds great. I haven't actually heard of that one,
7: but it's great. It's really good. Incredible.
6: I'm always looking for new recommendations and Pachenko is one of my favourite books. I absolutely love it. Okay, so finally, what is one piece of advice that you would give to publishing hopefuls?
7: I would say just get yourself out there, like meet people. Like I said before, it's the same kind of thing as freelancing. I think you just need to try and get your foot in the door, research the places that you want to approach, follow them on Instagram, engage. I think that's just the best way of doing it. From a design perspective,
6: what's your favorite book cover ever? Oh, wow.
7: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, the one that I feel like always stands out in my memory, just at the beginning of my career and me thinking, I'd really love to design something like that, is is A Short History of Tractors in the Ukraine. I love that. I think it's by John Gray. I remember seeing that, I think when I was in my teens, and being like, that is such a cool cover. I want to be able to do stuff like that. Oh, wow. Oh my God, it must be great if it's really stuck in your memory. That's I'm definitely going to look that up after this. I feel like it's, it's either a brief history of tractors in the Ukraine or it's a short history of tractors. I haven't read it in years, but I mm. loved that cover. I thought it was great. Do you think that inspired you to want
6: to work in, in with books? Or?
7: I definitely think it inspired me a lot in terms of when I was in publishing, that was kind of the illustrative style and the kind of design work that I wanted to be doing.
6: Is there anything that you wish people knew about your section of
7: the publishing industry that they don't? Hmm, that is a great question. I guess it's kind of that some things take time. There isn't just a button that you can press that says design. It's a bit more, it's a bit trickier than that sometimes. I think it's pretty much that. That's great. I um, feel like that's one of those questions we'll come back to later and be like, ah, oh, I should have yeah. said this. Um,
6: I have a question that's not on any paper, but I just want to know, what, at what stage of the, the kind of critical path are designers involved? Are you there from acquisition and kind of designing from there or are you involved I mean, later?
7: Well, I mean, for me, I design some of the pitch documents, so I'm like involved way beyond, like, mm-hmm. which is great. It's always really nice when you're part of that team. But usually we do go to acquisitions and um, we actually just had a meeting today and kind of listen into what's happening. Cause it's nice hearing what's going on and again, being part of it. Usually we are involved, I think 13 months ahead of pub. That's when they usually brief the covers and that's when we come on board officially. It can be at any stage. So it can be before acquisition, just after acquisition. Yeah. Great. Sometimes it's just designing placeholders before they've even briefed the covers. So
6: yeah. oh fascinating I don't really know much about the design section of, of publishing so it's just so interesting hearing about it <laughs> happy to share <laughs> so let's jump right in with what is your job title and where do you work
8: so my job title is publisher and I work at Orion and I run the fiction team great
6: and could you speak a bit more about your role what stage of the publishing critical path are you involved in how early you're involved what is a publisher
8: I mean, I'm all over all of it, essentially. So I'm in this sort of editorial function, and I'm involved at the very beginning of the process. So my job is to acquire books from agents, or sometimes directly from authors, so to find writers for the list. And then I oversee every part of the publishing journey, from manuscript to publication. So that will be structural editing, line editing, and then ensuring that the book has a good copy edit and proofread I brief the cover I write the copy I pitch and position the books to my colleagues in house so publicity marketing sales international and the rights team and I come up with I drive the overall publishing vision for a title in collaboration with the author and the agent. see it through to publication but then just because a book is kind of out, there's a very kind of long tail of sales now with with books, like titles being rediscovered kind of years after they're published. So, you know, throughout a book's lifetime, I'll be looking out for moments that we can drop the price or re-promote or submit it for a prize or spot that it's trending on TikTok and rewrite the messaging around the book and that kind of thing. So an an editor is, you know, a sort of, the spider in the web. Maybe. And then just as in terms of my title publisher, I also run a team of editors as well. So line management, responsibility for a team of fantastic and talented editors. Wow. So
6: it really oversees everything. Yes. <laughs> and you just mentioned so many different things. Is that a favourite part of the process? What's, what's the bit of the process that kind of gives you that feeling of, you know, real buzz?
8: My favourite part of the process recently is structural editing and just that feeling that you get once you finish the first read of a manuscript and of sort of capturing all those kind of thoughts and feelings and sort of putting them down in an editorial letter and then talking that through with the author I have fallen back in love with the craft of yeah working directly with the text and working with an author so that's a bit of a job that I love
6: Absolutely. so thinking back when did you know you wanted to work in publishing
8: so I don't think I ever thought, oh, I desperately want to work into publishing. I did an English degree, graduated, went home, worked on the checkout to earn some money and then just did loads of internships at literary agencies and publishers and thought, oh, I like books. You know, there seems to be an industry that sort of produced books. So, so that is how I got my route into publishing, was sort of enjoying books.
6: Mm-hmm. No, that's pretty common. <laughs> How long did it take you to land your dream role? Slash, are you in your dream role? And uh, you've talked a bit about it, but about your routine. How long did it take you to get there?
8: So it took me seven years to find my dream role. So I initially, my first job was working at Transworld as a publicity assistant. So I had seven years working as a publicist, oh. which I absolutely loved. And publicists do an amazing job. And it's an incredibly creative and strategic job. But the longer I worked in publicity, the more and more I thought I want to be involved earlier in the publishing process. So I was starting to have thoughts and ideas about covers for the books, publication dates, formats and edits. And I started to think, (laughs) actually, I think I want to become an editor. And so I did a sideways move seven years ago from a publicity job into a sort of joint publicity and editorial role and then made the move solely after a year into becoming a fully fledged senior commissioning editor.
6: Wow it's so interesting I think everyone has a completely different route and I love hearing about people who've moved sideways in publishing because I think so often that's that really is such a good way of doing it especially as editorial roles for example are so competitive to go in at entry level I think that's it's such a great way to do it. So next question is, what is a standout moment from your career to date?
8: So I came up with two. The first was when I was a publicist, I worked on Neil Gaiman's novel, The Ocean at the End of the Lane. And I petitioned Portsmouth City Council to change the name of the road to the ocean at the end of the lane, which they did. And Uh um, I got to go down to the like unveiling ceremony with Neil and one of his family. And that is a sort of moment I'll never forget. And then more recently in a sort of editorial highlight was at Orion, I got the chance to start an imprint with Anna Valentine, who's now the MD, which was Trippy's books, which was wow. quite a scary, we got given a sort of blank page and was told to, you know, start a list. So we came up with the identity and kind of built a list and a vision and a kind of strategy for that. And that was an amazing kind of creative, fun, incredibly Hard working time, and I absolutely loved it.
6: Wow, those are amazing. I love the road change that's inspired. <laughs> that's so cool. Is it still called that?
8: It is. Oh, that's it's so a, cool. I think it's a very small road. But you can go <laughs> visit it. Have pitch taken with a sign. <laughs> amazing. oh
6: actually, just kind of returning to our previous conversation about moving sideways in publishing. Do you think that's quite common? Is it more common than? we might think from outside
8: I think so and the more I remember when I moved from publicity into editorial a couple of people had kind of done it before the more people that do it you start to think oh I can do that as well so yeah sometimes it's so hard to get an entry-level position these days and I think every function like we've got a fantastic assistant editor in the Orion Fiction team who moved from sales so she worked in sales and she wanted to be an editor and she made the jump and she's brought with her a wealth of experience about supermarkets and selling in so I think a sort of a bit of advice for people that are listening you know if you can't get a job in the department that you want there are lots of departments that can that can ultimately help you get your dream job
6: definitely the skills are so transferable I think great speaking of skills what skills should publishing hopefuls look to hone do you think
8: so, I, it's not really a skill, but I would say something that I have found incredibly useful is resilience. Publishing is very unpredictable, and there can be the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And to have longevity and to protect yourself from those lows, I think it's really important for people to separate their sense of worth from the success or failure of a book. So, being resilient when you have those bad days being able to sort of pick yourself up and to celebrate the good days I think is an incredibly important skill.
6: Great and which of your skills would you say is the most important to your current
8: role? I think again it's not really a skill but I'm an incredibly positive person and you know if, if a sort of a problem kind of comes up I think oh you know maybe this is a way that we can be creative and come up with a solution so I think having a a positive outlook in the face of challenges has has really helped me progress and also enjoy my job
6: Mm. yeah I think that's really important as well just looking at the flip side a bit what is it that you think the publishing industry is missing at the moment
8: so I'm sure this will have come up a lot in your Q and A's, but obviously, ensuring that as publishers we have diversity of kind of voices. i was sort of thinking of my section of the list. My area is kind of crime and thrillers, and we are actively trying to diversify our crime and thriller list. So, you know, making sure that we have writers of colour representing sexualities, identities is incredibly important, and is a conversation that we need to keep having. So, I would say people. Are doing lots of things but we can always do more and I was really excited to see the news about Charmaine and her sort of fantastic division that she's the managing director of dialogue which I, yeah. think, I think is such a positive step
6: I saw that and dialogue is such a brilliant imprint I think it's it's a really really great step and I guess it has to it's not just the authors that need to be diversified I guess it's also the publishing teams and definitely um, yeah What would you say is your biggest sticking point or frustration maybe in in your role?
8: I like it when people are nice and professional and kind. And I think sometimes, you know, everyone is trying their best. So much of sort of publishing is kind of out of our control. Like you, you can't make millions of readers like buy a copy of a book. We can just do everything we can to sort of bring a book to market. And then, you know, ultimately it's sort of over to the public and I I like it when people involved in the business are sort of collaborative and open and helpful and we all kind of feel part of the same team rather than adversaries that are on opposing sides. I think that's what I'd say is one of my frustrations.
6: That was very well put.
8: Diplomatically (laughs)
6: very diplomatic, yeah. (laughs) Brilliant. So what are the key things you look for in a candidate when you're hiring? I guess it depends what the role is, but let's say in an entry-level role.
8: It is, and we've just recently, i just sat in on a load of interviews for our editorial assistant, and I would say one of the key qualities is a knowledge of the list and of the publisher that you are applying for. So right from tailoring your sort of covering letter and your CV, if you are applying for a commercial fiction imprint, ensuring that you are Up to date on what that publisher publishes, some of their biggest authors, some of their newest releases, and that you have recently read—you know—some commercial fiction books because you're probably going to get asked those in your interview. So, tailoring your CV to pull out experience that's relevant to that publisher, your covering letter, and then in the interview, just doing a little bit of background research into the publisher that you're applying for can go a long way.
6: And what's one piece of advice? That you have for publishing hopefuls?
8: So, I had written here that this industry needs people like you. When I first applied, did my first round of interviews, you know, publishing was very much sort of seen as this sort of white middle class impenetrable fortress. And a lot has been done to challenge that perception, but there are still barriers. And I just want people to think that the industry needs people like you we need people who are you know TikTok readers we need booksellers that have decided that they want to move into publishing we need people that have done master's courses but we also need people that have just kind of graduated school we need people who are maybe doing a second career change so I just hope that we can we continue to sort of challenge the perception that publishing is incredibly exclusive and for publishing hopefuls to think Someone would be lucky to have me. That's what I'd like them
6: to take away. I think that's such brilliant advice. I feel like it's very daunting applying to publishing jobs. And you, you can tend to think that there's only one way in and I have to have this, 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 and this. But you're so right, if as you know, if we can make the industry as diverse as possible, then it's obviously going to just make it better and cater to more people. So I love that. So final few questions. Is there anything that you wish people knew about your section of the industry so the editorial department that they don't know
8: oh again you've got an an off script question I think people do know this but it's when editors make the time to read (laughs) you know it would maybe there's a sort of perception that an editor's working day is like spent from nine to five you know lying on a sofa reading a manuscript no it's not a lot of that reading we have to do in our own time, so it's at the evenings, it's at the weekends, it's you know when we're on holiday and so there is, in my bit of the business a lot of extracurricular work that is in terms of reading and I'm sure people are aware of that, but it's always worth reminding people.
6: definitely. <laughs> Speaking of reading, what are you reading, listening to and watching at the moment?
8: So I am reading. I'm currently on holiday so I'm reading for pleasure and I am reading Lisa Jewell's entire backlist so Amazing. I've read five Lisa Jewell novels and I'm loving them and I keep finding ones I haven't read yet uh, and I've read everything from sort of Ralph's is it Ralph's party right through to The Family Remains so absolutely loving that. Incredible. Um,
6: have you read any? No, I haven't. But I know Lex is a huge fan.
8: Lex, talk to me afterwards. Join the fan club. I'm watching. I have recently been binging Love Island, which I'm just obsessed with. And I'm, to be honest, I'm so devastated to finish it that I'm re-watching season three. Oh, my God, amazing. <laughs> <So tragic. laughs> thought, actually, this is kind of terrible, but I'm not a big listener but I I am going to go away and listen to your podcast so that is what I will be listening to that is the
6: correct answer well done (laughs) amazing so finally final question which book have you got coming out soon that you're really proud of and that we should keep an eye out for
8: oh that's a great question although how can I choose between my book children A book that I'm sort of really proud of working on is, is Kathy Bramley's new novel, which is coming out in October. And it's called Merrily Ever After. And it is a heartwarming and incredibly emotional story about families in all their kind of different shapes and sizes. And working with Kathy, it's been a new relationship. I, I took over her publishing in, in January. And so she's someone as an author that I've been sort of getting to know and who is incredibly warm and creative and ambitious and has really inspired me to bring my best self to to work and to sort of you know to sort of motivate everyone to do everything we can on her book so it's been an incredibly wonderful working relationship so great author and also a fantastic book.
6: Brilliant what a great thank you so much. Thank you. Hi (laughs) first and foremost what is your job title and where do you work?
5: So I'm a marketing and publicity assistant and I work at Bonnie Books UK in the children's division.
6: Great. And could you speak a bit about your role? What do you do? What stage of the publishing critical path are you involved in? What does a marketer and publicity assistant Mm -hmm. do?
5: Sure. So we're involved basically from the very beginning, we give our thoughts on an acquisition to say if we think it would fit the market, see if we like it, give initial ideas that we can present to the author and the agent on what we think we do in the marketing and PR division. We go up to publications. So we're planning things, we're running ads, we're getting some buzz built, we're pitching it to press. And then after publication, we're just sort of monitoring those reviews putting on events, that sort of thing. So we're basically from start to finish, marketing and PR are involved. So marketing is a lot more sort of Paid stuff, it's advertising, it's point of sale, which is POS, whereas PR is a lot more sort of pitching, working with bloggers, doing events, festivals, that sort of thing. Great. What would you say your favourite part of the process is? What's the bit that gives you the buzz? I think a lot of it does, to be honest. I think the events on the PR side is definitely really exciting because you see the books kind of come to life and you see the people behind it, like the authors and the illustrators, especially on the kids' books especially going to things that aren't necessarily book focused like going to this weekend for example I'm going to like a festival a children's festival and it's part of it so I think going out and doing those sorts of things are a real like exciting part that gets you out of the office away from the computer which is definitely a fun part of it yeah
6: that sounds so fun so going back a bit, when did you know that you wanted to work in publishing?
5: To be honest, when I was younger, like a lot of people, I really wanted to be an author. And I'm still living that dream, but just have not written anything. <laughs> like one day I'll get there. But to be honest, a bit of a controversial answer. I didn't know that I really wanted to work in publishing until I started working in publishing. And it was when I sort of started seeing the ads about on different websites. And the way I got in, I saw it on an apprenticeship site. And so it was kind of until I saw that, saw the description. Which literally a few years ago when I sort of realized actually I didn't realize this was an industry that obviously existed I didn't know anything about it and so it was only until I was sort of actually involved in it that I realized I wanted to work in publishing. Great so
6: how long did it take you to land your dream role slash are you in your dream role are you in your dream kind of career trajectory and what was your route in I'd love to hear a bit more about that.
5: Yeah, sure. So as I said, when I started seeing these ads, I saw, it was actually my mum that saw one on the apprenticeship website and that's the way I got in. So I didn't go to university or anything. I went straight just, I was working part-time, saw this ad and went for it. So I did an apprenticeship for about a year and a half. And at the same time I was employed by Bloomsbury. I was working predominantly in the production division. So I was employed as a production assistant at the same time as learning sort of on the job but one day a week I was working in like the marketing and publicity division at Bloomsbury and I absolutely loved it and I did really enjoy my job in production but when I was doing the marketing and PR there I was like this is where I want to be long term. I was there for a couple of years and then I moved across to Bonnie Books UK which is where I am now and yeah this is this is where I want to be this is where I like get the most excitement from this is where I feel like it's more me it's more me focused and then I enjoy it so yeah probably like doing a couple of years in production first but now I feel like I'm, I'm where I want to be.
6: I think that's such it's so interesting hearing about like the different routes in. I feel like everyone does it differently and it's just I think for publishing hopefuls out there it's really good to know that you know you can kind of go in and then move sideways you don't have to just Mm. be applying to your dream role it's great to hear those success stories.
5: Yeah definitely I, I mean I speak to so many people on my YouTube when I do sort of like interviews like this with them and people have gone to university and done like science people have gone and done something completely different or they've been in a job that's totally different and moved across I think it's it's not the case anymore where it's a strict route that everyone has to follow it, there's different paths out there yeah exactly so
6: this is a question that wasn't on the original list of questions
5: what is your favorite
6: campaign that you've worked on to date as a side note we loved your video on your work on el lockhart's campaign so oh, yeah. <laughs> um not that you should say that that's your favorite but yeah what is your favorite campaign that you've
1: worked on
5: I think, to be honest, I've always had a love for my first campaign just because it was my first one. It's like my baby. So it was Pip and Drip by Maggie Lee. And they're like these gorgeous ball books that have got a cut throughout the whole of the book. So you can see the life cycle of water and of a seed. And I think it was just more because it's, a, I mean, they're adorable books, obviously, but it was more of a turning point in my career when I was like, okay, I have my own sort of like ownership of this now, which I found really exciting. And I think that I just tried to put my all into it. Aside from that, I love helping the team on like the really, really big ones as well such as E Hart's uh, Family of Lies*, which is the prequel to We Were Liars. It's when Women Were Dragons by Kelly Barnhill as well. Those ones where we're predicting a lot more sales, it's more commercial. We tend to have a higher budget. We can do a lot more creative things. So although I'm not necessarily working on it solely, just me, it's more of a team effort. And I'm just sort of like helping with little bits here and there. They've been the fun ones to see how it can kind of compare to our usual campaigns.
6: Mm.
5: Yeah, that must be so cool. This kind of follows on, but...
6: What is a standout moment from your career to date, do you think?
5: One of the things is actually recent, and it's not specific to this job, but this week, last week, the bookseller has published their youth issue. So I did an article for them. So I was like, oh, I felt like... Proud, I guess, for getting into the bookseller because it's one of those things that's like I've always wanted that, and I was pleased to be able to get to talk to that. And it was about sort of getting into publishing and the fact that you can be young and you don't have to go to university and that sort of thing, and you can still be here. And so that was definitely a standout moment. I've definitely got a few, like, I've got meeting celebs in the office as well like we're an adults and a kids division as well so that's always fun as I said like taking ownership of my own campaigns makes me feel like happy inside and again like the events like uh, this year we've had Yalp that I went to for the first time and just that was just fun from the planning stages to the, the very end of it when I was really really worn out on the feet breaking. <laughs> yeah I worked at Yalk when I was doing an internship
6: back in 2019 and it's very intense so yeah. I. Completely. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's intense,
5: but so worth it. And I just like I thrived then.
6: Yeah, it's amazing. That's so cool. Great. So, what skills do you think publishing hopefuls should look to hone?
5: I think there are a lot, and it does definitely does depend, obviously, on the department that you want to go into. But as a few just general ones that would work, whatever department you want to work in, I'd say organisation because you are bound to need to work on a spreadsheet, especially if you start entry level assistant positions and a bit of creativity as well have something a little bit different about you and be able to come up with some creative ideas and then lastly communication and people skills because the publishing industry is very collaborative you work with other teams you work with authors you work with agents you work with external suppliers especially in things like marketing and PR when you're working with bloggers and influencers it's really helpful to have those kind of people skills
6: yeah and which of your skills would you say is the most important to your current role
5: I think for us for marketing PR is definitely the communication and the people skills because I'm emailing people literally every day, calling people all the time. I think for PR, you have to be used to phoning people up on the actual phone as well. I think teamwork is really important as well because you're constantly brainstorming ideas with your team, seeing who comes up with you know, a really nice idea that we can run ahead with and digital skills as well so that includes like social media but it also includes things like photoshop which is really useful and just to say a lot of these skills i literally didn't have until i started working in these jobs so it's not a case of you have to be an expert in all of these it's more of having an awareness and that's the ones that i tend to use the most that's great to know i think
6: sometimes you see a list of Skills on a job application, and you're like, oh, I can't do any of that. But they're obviously Yeah, exactly.
5: It's more this is what you will be using as a case of you have to be know this inside out. Obviously, it's preferable to know a lot of it and to have some basic skills, but there's there's still stuff that I'm literally learning this week that that I didn't know before.
1: Yeah,
6: exactly. Is there anything in your role that you were surprised by or not expecting?
5: Oh, that's a very good question. I think in the position that I am now. I was surprised by the amount of responsibility I'd have. I love it, don't get me wrong. But I think when you work at a smaller publisher, it really differs in what a role entails when you work at a bigger publisher. So coming from a big one coming and then coming into a smaller one, there definitely were some differences in terms of responsibility. But that does mean that you have a lot more ownership over things and that's really rewarding and you feel like you're actually making a difference. So I think I was just kind of more surprised by that like the overall thing of how um, a big publisher can differ from a smaller or medium-sized publisher. Yeah
6: that's really interesting. Again this is just me following on but do you prefer one over the other? Do you like working at a big publisher or a smaller publisher?
5: Yeah I do. I think the the size that I am now at Bonia it's it's that sort of medium size where you do have budgets to be able to kind of like push the books as much as, as you can but It's small enough to make a difference and you're not just sort of like another another name in the company I think I wouldn't personally want to work at like a you know top five just because I think that you do get lost and I've heard lots of stories and I just think that being in a smaller company where people know your name people recognize the work that you're doing you can make a difference is for me personally what I prefer yeah great
6: So what do you think the publishing industry is missing at the moment?
5: First thing that comes to mind when I think about this is diversity. So diversity in employees, diversity in authors and diversity in book characters. That's probably the main thing that pretty much everyone can agree with having good pay is something that the industry is missing as well that's not a secret and then another thing I'm passionate about is like having enough like well-being initiatives as well so having enough to kind of like support your staff in place both as an individual company but as a publishing industry as a whole
6: yeah definitely I think everyone has said that (laughs) pretty much and kind of similarly but on a more personal level what would you say that your biggest sticking point or maybe frustration in your role is
5: I think when you are really passionate about a book and it's a really good book and the author's really lovely and you just see it and you want it to go really far and it doesn't for X, Y and Z, I think that's hard to not take personally, especially in marketing and PR, because it's like you've put in so much effort, so many hours and to not see it get in the result that you wanted is quite hard because... Yeah, you, you just sort of want it to do how you imagined it when you first planned your campaign. And if it doesn't, I think that can be quite frustrating and it's like you might try loads of different things, but it's just not working. It's you know, people just don't want to be buying things at the moment or it's not what people were expecting or just people aren't interested in that. And it's definitely hard, like and it as I said, it comes more of a personal thing because you think, oh that that was like my baby, I worked on that, why isn't it working? But it's kind of part of the process, you learn from it, especially if it's part of a series, you learn from it and you move on to the next one. But that's that is definitely frustrating.
6: Definitely. I think just uh, accepting that some things are out of your control. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, it's definitely, yeah, that's a steep learning curve for sure. So the next question is, what is one piece of advice that you have for publishing hopefuls?
5: My first piece of advice to hello, low trumpet would be to subscribe to my YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> and follow <me> on <laughs> just generally because I have like all of my stuff on there. So if people want specific piece of advice, whether it's the skills they need, people they need to be following, like what they can expect from a day-to-day life. It's all on there. So rather than me just ranting at you, like not a very coherent way, watching the videos, I have it all on there. But my main thing would be kind of like get involved in every aspect. So get involved, volunteer for the publishing post, get involved that way, uh, sharpen up your transferable skills. Get involved by applying for internships and apprenticeships, get involved by following people on Twitter, commenting on tweets, entering giveaways, following people such as like the bookseller, following the careers app pages, following people that actually work in the industry. Just however you can get involved in some way.
6: Great advice. I completely agree, especially on Twitter. It seems to be where everyone is. For
5: sure. For sure.
6: So coming to the final few questions. Is there anything that you wish people knew about your section, sector of the publishing industry that might be a misconception that they have?
5: I think for marketing, definitely that everyone just sits on TikTok and takes (laughs) pictures. I think that is part of the role. It is part of the role. But even with that, it's not just a case of taking TikToks just for the fun of it. It's you have strategy behind it. You have KPIs behind it. There are targets to meet. So in a way, it does take away the fun of like a normal TikTok personal account. But I think people see marketing and sometimes even in other departments, they, they don't understand what you do on a day to basis, which is fine if you don't have that experience. But kind of not kind of like shunning the work of marketers, I guess, for thinking, oh, they just do sort of like fun stuff all day long because it's not. There's still a lot of spreadsheets. There's still a lot of invoices, still a lot of admin, that sort of thing. And so while it is super, super fun, I think that there is a misconception that it is just we're just sitting about on our phones all day. Okay. Great, <laughs> OK,
6: so. What are you reading, listening and watching at the
5: moment? Funny enough, I actually got sent a copy this morning to my work They're called Must Love Books by one more chapter and then it's actually about publishing. So it's about being an assistant in publishing. So it's a proof that comes out next year. So I'm going to read that next because the book that I'm reading at the moment is actually really similar. It's called Not Safe for Work. And it's also about people working in the industry. I believe it's the TV industry. I literally only started it this morning. So I think the next two books that I'm going to read are sort of like work-focused ones. I've just finished reading Hello, Stranger by Rachel Marks, which I absolutely loved. It was like a love story that talks about parenthood. Yeah, so that's what I'm reading at the moment. Great. And finally,
6: what are you currently working on that we should be looking out for? And what are you most excited about?
5: I can't pick a favourite just because of the the way that it works. I can say, though, that I predominantly work on the Templar Books list, which is pitch books, naughty books, gift books, pop-up books. So if that does sound like something that people are interested in, if people have kids, nieces, nephews, if they're a caregiver, whatever it is, Templar Books has a lot coming out next year. And even this side of Christmas as well, where we have a lot of stuff that's really exciting, really colourful, really just pretty, and that do make it really, really fun to work on.
1: Amazing.
6: Did you always want to work in children's publishing and I'd love to know what you love about it? Because I feel like children's publishing, you don't really hear so much about it. Um, Yeah, yeah.
5: unfortunately. (laughs) Unfortunately, because I suppose that the people that buy children's books are not the people that read children's books as opposed to adult books. So a lot of the time you see coverage for adult books because it's the people that read it, you're going direct to the consumer. So when I was at Bloomsbury, I did have some experience with adult books and it was fun and I did find it rewarding in that there was always more coverage there's always more budget that sort of thing but with kids I just feel like you do have more fun with it like genuinely like it is more fun I feel like there is less pressure to be like a number one bestseller although that is obviously always the dream with kids publishing as well especially here because it's a small team we work all the way from board books all the way up until YA which is young adults so I do feel like I do get like a mix it's not that I'm constantly on one age or anything like that and it's both pop-ups and fiction to non-fiction about how the world works so I think that kids for me provides a lot more of a variety and also that it it's for kids like you see kids and pictures of them reading online and stuff where people have tagged us and it's like really heartwarming just seeing these kids like enjoy these little colourful books and playing with it and that sort of thing if they're novelty so I guess when I was at Bloomsbury I enjoyed working on the adults but I had more fun working in kids I suppose and now that I'm here I do know that I prefer working in kids and this is for me sometimes like any job it's like oh what would it be like if I did work in the adults division but I'm like no this is where this is where I should be
6: feel so like everyone in publishing is so friendly and then the people who work in children's publishing are just like even more
5: <laughs> friendly like they're like the
6: nicest people in the world.
5: <laughs> I it's because yeah we work on like sometimes just like really silly books and like a book will come in and you can just read it in like five minutes and you can be like yeah I read that book like today like you know what you're working on all the time I feel like there's less pressure to like read you know a 400 page book It's it's a lot easier in that sense because you can get to know the books a lot more um you're working with illustrators a lot more as well which obviously you don't really have in adults but yeah it's uh, it's fun
2: great
0: cool thank you so much no you're welcome pleasure so lovely listeners that was our publishing hopeful themed episode and we are so glad to have had you along for this episode and the whole of season two
2: thank you everyone we will see you in season three
0: thanks for following and subscribing to us everyone see you soon See you soon, guys. Thank you. As always, thank you so much for joining us today. Please do take a minute to rate, review and subscribe and we'll see you next week. As always, we're open to your feedback. So please do hit us up at Tandem Collective UK on Instagram or using the hashtag
6: tandem Collective Talks. If there's anyone content creator wise, industry superstars or your favourite author that you think we should feature in the podcast, then let us know. Bye.